This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best of your sports talk for Thursday, May the 30th. I'm your host, D.A. It's been a long time since we saw the Golden State Warriors on the floor. In fact, I feel like it was last year. We're finally back where Golden State's going to be on the court playing basketball. For real. Game one of the NBA Finals tonight. And it'll be in Toronto where you know who is going to be courtside. Hip-hop mogul Drake who has apparently been reprimanded by the NBA and Adam Silver's office. So Drake certainly isn't the first celebrity fan to get into it with opponents and become part of the story. Who are his predecessors? Well, Brian Scalabrini has dealt with a few of them. Here's the former Celtic and Radio.com Sports Insider on Andy and Randy on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. Do you ever have to deal with anybody on the sidelines behaving in a way that might have been slightly distracting during a game? Oh, oh, sure. Like, so the, my, one of my best games ever was game five in Detroit. And uh, Detroit had, I think, Kid Rock was in his prime. <laughs> and I remember Kid Rock kind of talking smack as I hit a shot going up and down the sideline. I thought it was great. I, I, I'm assuming, like, the Warriors will think it's great. The Warriors are handling this the right way. You know who didn't handle it the right way? The Milwaukee yeah. Bucks. Yeah. Like, for Mike Boonholzer to bring up Drake, <laughs> he should be bringing up Kawhi Leonard and the things that are going on with his team. So I think the Warriors have the right mentality. Like Clay Thompson, the other at Media Day, he said, "Love Drake's music, hate him as a fan," and that's <laughs> that's what we all want. Like I, I love Spike Lee's movies, and I hated him as a Knicks fan, mm-hmm. but it was good to, to like, stick it to Spike Lee, like Reggie Miller sort of allowed that to happen. In the past, we've had all kinds of historic performances between great player, a la Jordan, Reggie Miller, and Spike Lee. Now it's great player, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Drake. So I like the fact that Drake is a part of the show. It makes it, it, makes it fun to watch. The TV does a good job of, of bringing it to, to light. It's a sidebar story. But I think the Warriors who have been in big games before, are going to treat it like a sidebar story. They're not going to be distracted by Drake, maybe <laughs> like Milwaukee was. When you look at Kawhi Leonard, when they put him on uh, on Giannis last uh, series, you saw how you know his his, uh, his, his percentage, shooting percentage, everything dipped a little bit right now. When you see mm-hmm. look at this game, who do you look at to as uh, the primary guy that uh, Kawhi Leonard would defend? Yeah, I mean, if Kevin Durant was playing, it would be right. – no question, that's who he would guard. And it would be awesome for every NBA fan in the world to see this ridiculous offensive player play against this ridiculous two-way player. But if Kawhi Leonard, and it's funny, at media day, everyone was talking about Kawhi Leonard's defense. I don't know if I've ever been in a series where, like this thing, I've, I've 
we played against the Lakers, and it was how to stop Shaq, how to stop Kobe. I've, in the finals, I've, we played against the San Antonio Spurs, you know, how to slow down Tim Duncan and, and Tony Parker and all that. I've never heard a team talk about how much a guy's defensive abilities are going to impact the series. So my guess is, like, Steve Kerr is great, and I think the Warriors have the right mindset. Because if Kawhi Leonard was guarding me, all I would do is pass the ball. Right? So I would be like, there's no way I'm trying to challenge him like Chris Middleton did, like Giannis did. So I really believe that they're going to dance around Kawhi Leonard. Hmm. I think they're going to look at Kawhi Leonard and move the ball. Like if Kawhi Leonard's guarding Steph Curry 35 feet from the basket, I could see Draymond Green setting the screen. And if Kawhi Leonard fights through that screen and, and he's on Steph Curry, I could see him moving the ball. I think initially, because I think he will initially guard Draymond, because I almost look at Draymond as a guy, like if you could slow him down, you have a chance to slow the rest of the guys down because so much of the offense is running through him. So I guess he'll guard Draymond, but like for the Warriors, if you're not switching or if you're in rotation and you're trying to keep a certain matchup, they'll pick you apart. So Clyde Leonard will guard on one possession. This no joke. He'll guard Steph Curry, and then he'll switch off on Draymond and switch off onto Clay Thompson. And that's just the way that you have to be able to defend if you're going to beat the Warriors. So I know that the Warriors were talking about his defense. My guess is they'll continue to move the ball to get it to get Quine Leonard off of the ball in the defensive end by the by the simple amount of how much they were talking about. It. You know, all these guys are buffoons. All these celebrities that want to be in the middle of the action. They are so entitled because they're rich, they're famous, they're wealthy, and everybody's pulling at them all the time to think that, oh, I'm in the middle of this too. I can perform too. I should be right there rubbing my coach's shoulders or barking at the players or getting involved with people on the floor. No, stay away. You're not part of this. Let the people paid to do what they're due, do it. And you stay out of it, Drake and Kid Rock and Spike Lee and Jack Nicholson and the rest of you guys. Stay away. Golden State goes into its fifth consecutive NBA Finals, something that Kobe and Shaq's Lakers never did, something that LeBron has never done with the Cavaliers or the Heat, something that Magic and Larry never did, something that Michael never did. you got to go back to the 1960s Boston Celtics for a team that went to five straight NBA Finals. Are we dealing with a Warriors fatigue? Here's NBA insider Howard Beck on the Ken Carmen Show, 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Howard, I've been screamed at throughout the course of the show it's by Cavs true. fans. They don't want to hear about the NBA Finals. Uh, they don't want to have anything to do with Golden State Warriors winning yet again. So Howard of the Bleach Report and the Full 48 Podcast joins us now on the hotline. Are you sensing any fatigue, warrior fatigue around the country like it is here in Cleveland? I mean, it's hard to tell, right? Like, it's unless you're... Unless it's like ESPN doing its Sports Nation poll or something, or like it's it's just a feel thing. You can get on Twitter, which is kind of probably not the most scientific uh, gauge of the the world or the the country. You can, I mean, to the extent that I have NBA conversations with people on Twitter and in real life, is there a warrior fatigue that's been building over the last couple of years, and especially since Durant went there? I think that's fair to say, but it's a hard thing to measure, right? It's it's just. You, you can't you, – there's, there's no objective measurement for that. There's no Gallup poll for the NBA, although I often wish there were, so we could assess things like this because it's a curiosity. But, I, yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, if I had to just kind of, like, you know, conclude based on my own experiences, I think people are kind of 
tired of them a little bit. At the same time, this recent uh, stretch, the last couple of weeks, where Durant's been out, and it's the old Warriors where, remember, and this may not be the case in Cleveland, and that's fine, but everywhere else, the Warriors were kind of like this, you know, lovable, happy-go-lucky team that just happened into a finals in uh, Steve Kerr's first year there, and nobody saw it coming. They weren't considered some, you know, evil empire powerhouse. Um, they had been an okay team under Mark Jackson, but they weren't uh, a contender. And suddenly they were a champion, and the way they played and the joy they played with, the personality of the team, it was all fun, and everybody loved them right up until the point where Durant arrived, and then I think pretty much everybody turned on them aside from Warrior fans. What's closer to the truth? The Raptors have a chance to beat the Golden State Warriors in the finals, or people want the Raptors to have a chance to beat the Golden State Warriors in the finals? <laughs> I think the latter. I mean, it's not that they don't have a chance. Of course they have a chance. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard might be the best player in this series heading in, especially with Durant you know, still you know, uh, on the shelf or at least uh, working his way back. I think Kawhi Leonard probably is the best player heading into this series. Um, they've definitely got a chance, and they've got home court advantage. And so, you know, while I lean Warriors on this series, I don't, I, I, I don't think anybody should be stunned if Toronto wins it. That said, um, the way you frame the question, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that, you know, there's just a ton of people out there who would love to see it happen, and that's a stronger sensation than, than the, um, probably the actual chances of it happening, even though, as I say, it's reasonable that it could happen. Well, of course we're dealing with Warriors fatigue. Of course! Yeah, there's going to be some kids that love to rock Steph Curry jerseys. And, yeah, the people in the Bay Area want to see the Warriors there. But outside of the Bay Area, everybody is rooting against Golden State. Why? Because of fatigue. I don't think this is all, it needs to be all that scientific. We are tired of Golden State. We're tired of the inevitability of them winning a championship. We want to see anybody else. And that's why America, writ large, is rooting for the Raptors. I guarantee you that. One thing that you have to be impressed by, even if you hate the Golden State Warriors, though, is Steph Curry's ability to go from Robin to Batman. When Kevin Durant was the team scorer, the leading guy, the alpha male in terms of the offense on the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry kind of seamlessly wove into the fabric. But... Now he has to be everything, at least far more than he was with KD healthy because KD's been out. And so how impressive is that transition? Steve Kerr joined the Damon Bruce Show on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. Is there anybody you can think of historically who can flow back and forth as seamlessly between clear lead dog, can get any bucket you want for you, and then effectively melding in as, a, as almost a secondary option in some ways? That's a that's a good question. There aren't many guys who uh, are capable of doing that. Um, I, ironically, I think Clay <laughs> at times can do that. You know, he's perfectly comfortable. Uh, you know, sitting back if uh, other guys are rolling, and uh, and then when you absolutely have to have him, you know, Game Six in Oklahoma City a couple of years ago, he he lights it up and saves our season. So, you know, we've got we've got we're lucky. We've got um, several players. Kevin included, who uh, can can take on a lead role or happily uh, take a step back when their teammates are playing well. So it's one of the things that makes our team unique. 
Steve, when we're, Ray and I were over in the facility last week talking to you about Draymond Green and you know all the defensive compliments, what was true, what was hyperbole, you said that his versatility really does make him one of the most unbelievable, maybe the best defender in NBA history, one through five. If Draymond is first in line, how far is Kawhi in his rearview mirror? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Ooh, and, two today. You know, we're on. Yeah. We're on fire. <laughs> we we may have peaked already. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Two in a row. Two in a row. Oh, wow. The streak. We're going to go for a three peat in a second. Okay, three, three. Uh, no, you know, Kawhi is um, obviously I'm biased, and I'm around Draymond every day, uh, and I see him every day. I, don't, I haven't seen as much of Kawhi, but I do know the versatility allows him. Uh, to guard multiple positions, and that's you know that's really what we're talking about um, when you when you want to mention the best defenders in the history of the game. It's the guys who can guard anybody out there, and um, Kawhi is strong enough to guard a lot of bigs, uh, and he's quick enough to guard point guards on the perimeter and uh, and everything in between. So yeah, he's a he's a fantastic defender. There was an awful lot of speculation that when you were out with dinner with Greg Popovich the other night that he was giving you all the goods that you'd need to defend Kawhi. And Ray was the first to say that there's no way that there's any truth to that because Greg Popovich defends his dinner time as sacrosanct and there will be no business discussed. Is that true? That's actually very true. Um, He went to City Lights Bookstore that day. Uh, My wife Margot was with me and, and Pop bought us each several books, and most of the conversation at dinner was about the books that he purchased and can, why. Can you recommend a book? So, yes. He bought me uh, a book by uh, Oliver Sacks, who uh, was a uh, renowned um, doctor slash writer. I think he may have written for the New York Times, and he, he wrote a, uh, a book that is basically a series of essays on uh, his career and uh, his life and his career. And it's fantastic. And I've, I've brought it with me and I've been, been enjoying it on the trip. And, uh, but, um, yeah, modern life's weird, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I, we, we go out and we have a quiet dinner and somebody snaps a photo. And next thing you know, people are speculating that pop's telling me how to stop Kawhi. So when all actually he's just recommending an Oliver Sacks book. <laughs> if, if you had brought up, <laughs> if you had brought up basketball to him, how many words would you have gotten out before he told you to shut up? <laughs> Maybe three. <laughs> yeah. That really has been one of the most amazing things about Steph Curry's career to this point. I mean, obviously coming out of Davidson and doing what he did, magical moments in March, and then becoming the greatest shooter in NBA history. But how about also swinging between the go-to guy to then, in a bit of a way, a passenger to now going right back to go-to guy, it's remarkable. And Steph Curry, I don't think, is underrated because he's had two NBA MVPs. He's been a first-team All-NBA player multiple times over. I don't think you could say that he's underrated. But what he's doing right now, switching between passenger and driver, Batman and Robin, really is pretty amazing. Now, knowing that Kevin Durant is going to be a free agent after the season, knowing that Clay Thompson will as well, and knowing that Draymond Green is a free agent in a year from now, is this the end of the Warriors as we know them? Here's CBS Sports' Bill Ryder, who joined Gwyn and Chris on 97.3 The Fan in San Diego. 
Will this be the last time we get a chance to see this Golden State team as is? Yeah, I think in KD, it's his own sort of um, private private dude who yeah. keeps his own counsel. And I think like with when he went to Golden State, if there's a if there's an unlikely series of events, and the last unlikely series of events was the Thunder collapsed three one in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, and then the Warriors collapsed with a three one lead against LeBron and the Cavs. Right? I think both those things had to happen for KD to go to Golden State. I think something similar crazy has to happen for him to stay. For Clay, I think it's simple. And, you know, there's been some reports through Agent Wojnowski, who's a great reporter and a trial balloon a lot of times for agents. If And I don't think the Warriors are foolish enough to make this mistake, but you never know. Arrogance and success, what Riley called the, the disease of more, can apply to owners too and GMs. If they go to Clay Thompson on minute one of NBA free agency and say, here's your max deal, we respect you, we love you, we know what you're about, and we're not going to mess around, Done Clay deal. Thompson's a a warrior for the rest of his life. Yeah. If they get cute, and we've seen this before, right? Yeah. Or they think that they're the ones that are, you know, they, they misjudge Clay's value because they overstate their own, and they try to get cute. I think Clay Thompson might be a Laker next season. Mm. Ah, I now you're wouldn't, speaking. I now certainly wouldn't be Tony. upset with that, Bill. You're being. You're <laughs> finally speaking Tony's language. He's begging for any free agent to come to the Lakers. So he would be. You probably you seen be, the soap opera we have right oh, now. Oh, I've seen it. I'm trying to read it. I can't follow it at the moment. Talking about these NBA Finals, and uh, yeah, it's. I mean, you have to pick Golden State if if you've been following sports for the last half decade. Um, and, and I think one of the real problems that Toronto has is. Everything we talked about with Kawhi Leonard is true, but he can't guard this many players. Like, he he was able to slow Giannis down, and the other guys on Milwaukee, other than I think really Brogdon and Middleton, didn't step up as much as they normally do. But you know other Warriors are going to step up. Whoever he isn't guarding is going to be able to torch Toronto, and that's why this Warrior team is on the precipice, I think, of – you know, you have to name them among the greatest of all time if they win this championship. I think you're absolutely right. Whoever Kawhi is assigned to, or if he splits minutes, you know, if he even takes on Steph for 10 or 15 minutes a game, he's going to be effective. I'm never, I'm done doubting Kawhi Leonard, but you're right. I mean, this, this Raptors backcourt is among the shortest and least athletic defensively that the Warriors have gone up against, and that's advantage Steph or Clay or whoever it is. Draymond Green's averaging twice as many points in the postseason as he did the regular season. He's a triple-double machine. Uh, Clay Thompson once scored 40 points in a quarter for a reason. The ball is moving a lot more. It's, it's a different kind of basketball with KD not around, but I think it, it certainly benefits uh, Draymond and, and I think to a larger extent Clay Thompson. I agree with you guys. And I'll add this to why I think it's inevitable the Warriors win this thing. And not to hate on Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee. I think they have a bright future. They had that series in the bag. They were up 2-0. They were on the road in Game 3. They had an overtime. They had a double overtime. You win that game, that series is over, and Giannis fails to score a single point mm. in that game three overtime or that double overtime. He fouled out with 36 seconds just into that overtime, double overtime. The Warriors don't make that mistake, and they've learned from that, that series they lost to the Cavs, and they're up 3-1. Toronto's going to have lapses. They're going to have moments where Kawhi can't be on the floor or what you stated happens, right, where there's other guys guarding these dudes. And the Golden State Warriors, unlike the Milwaukee Bucks, having been through the wars, they're not going to halt or pause or misunderstand that even up 2-0 say, you got to put these guys down. I think it'll be a vastly different series as a result. Look, it better be. I mean, really, it, it better be the end of the Warriors like this because it's too inevitable. 
I spoke to Oklahoma City Thunder analyst, 14-year NBA veteran, former NBA champion and Sirius XM host Antonio Daniels about this this morning. And he told me on my show, the Warriors didn't need Kevin Durant. They wanted to take him away from the Thunder, but they didn't need Kevin Durant. And he's absolutely right. This is a guy that's watching 82 games a year courtside, and he knows they didn't need Kevin Durant, so they don't need him anymore either. Let's hope he leaves to open up at least a little bit of a door for the rest of the NBA. On the ice, Game 2, Stanley Cup Final goes to the St. Louis Blues, who win in overtime on the road at TD Garden in Boston to split the series at one game apiece. An overtime goal by Gunny Gunnarsson, a third-line defensive player. What happened to the Bruins after the way that they finished the postseason the last two rounds in dominant fashion, not looking so dominant against St. Louis? Here's Dale and Keefe. Dale Arnold, Rich Keefe on WEEI in Boston. Look, I didn't think it was going to extend to two straight games, so I certainly don't think it's going to extend to three straight games. I don't want to take credit away from St. Louis, but I also want to put blame where it belongs. And it it really does fall on the shoulders of these three guys yeah. for a lot of what you're seeing. Too much of this, you know, let's make the extra pass. Let's not put the puck on net. Very cute. Yeah, let's let's and and when they've had troubles during the season, not that it happens a lot. It's because they get too cute. Marshan yeah. especially is guilty of getting too cute at times. Pasternak gets too cute at times with the puck, and and it, it they were make the Blues were making the Bruins pay for that. Yeah, last the night. roles were reversed from game one. You know, the Bruins only finished the night with twenty three shots. This is a game that goes into overtime. This is a game and you where had five power plays, five power plays, and you only had twenty three shots. The wild stat, the most wild stat of the night is they had as many power play shots. I believe it was only three. As St. Louis had shorthanded shots. Yeah. That can't happen. Like, that's ridiculous. And the power play has been very good. Again, going into the series, the number one power play it's in the postseason. It's still the number one power play. It still is. Even, yeah. yeah, it had a ways to drop down. The first series, it was such a weapon against Toronto. Against Carolina, it was fantastic. Against Columbus, the Blue Jackets did a much better job at killing it off. But you thought, all right, you had five chances in the first game, and you only scored once, and you said, all right, well, maybe now you've gotten a look at what they do, and maybe you're going to have a better way of you know attacking it. This game, they score right away. They score, what, four or five minutes into the game, Charlie Coyle, and you're thinking, here we go. They, they you know, they're going to, something clicked here on the power play. Nope, not the case. And St. Louis is a team which surprisingly doesn't get penalized that much in the playoffs because watching them play, it's like, how did they not they're flying around. They have some stupid penalties that they take, like either away from the puck, undisciplined or, at times. It is, and but they're getting away with it because their penalty kill is either either the combination of their penalty kill has been good or the Bruins power play has just been sloppy. It's amazing because the Bruins have been the ones with a reputation of taking the fight, taking the thunder, taking the power to the opposing team. That the Bruins want to hit and they want to wear you down. And they want to make you tired and fatigued and then take advantage of that. And it was actually the role reversal that the St. Louis Blues did that to the Bruins and seemed to wear down the Bruins, especially in that overtime. St. Louis had the juice. St. Louis had the speed in their skates. St. Louis was on the forecheck constantly. And St. Louis just kept hitting the Bruins. And I think that really did wear down Boston by the end. And then you see the goal that sends St. Louis back home 1-1. That's the first ever win in a Stanley Cup final and four chances for the Bruins. They were swept. They were 
other three appearances, and then, of course, lost game one of this series. So a historic moment, to say the least, for the Blues. And maybe, yeah, a little bit too cute for the Boston Bruins that they'll have to turn that around in game three and four, heading to Missouri. Finally, on baseball. Mm, crack of the bat, the smell of freshly cut grass, hot dogs, popcorn, beer, and beautiful old-school uniforms. Baseball is filled with some gorgeous throwback uniforms and ones that have just never changed over the years. So what are the best MLB unis? Well, you wouldn't be surprised at number one and number two, but you might be surprised at the list after that. Here's Jamie and Stoney, a 97 won the ticket in Detroit. A lot of people think the Tigers have the best uniform, at least the best hat, best logo, the old English tee. And, and I know that that's kind of a Detroit thing, and so it's going to be biased. But they did a Major League Baseball poll where they asked 85 players on uh, 85 players across the league what were their favorite uniforms, and they were not allowed to pick their current team. Okay. Okay. So um, I don't know if you looked at the list or not. Did you look at the list? I did not look okay. at the list. I want to. What do you What do you think is it's a, it, react two to this. teams are tied for number one? I mean the Yankees. You think the Yankees are tied for uh, first? Yeah. I would assume. Yeah. yeah um, and after that, gosh, clearly not the Tigers. Tigers are not in the top ten, and I'm I, and I'm a little bit alarmed by it, but I have a, I have a theory as to why that is. Gosh, the next best? Man. No, they're tied. They're first. Yankees and another team are tied for first. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of the the other team that would be tied at top based on what players think. Man, that's they, tough. They picked the Dodgers. Okay. okay. Kind of the dark gray and the blue. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, the blue. The they LA like, on the hat. The red, the red number on the front underneath the blue Dodgers script. They think that kind of pops. Um, <laughs> I think it pops. Is that, is that how they described it? The red numbers that pop. Okay, I'm, 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 reading, I'm reading from the article here, all right? Listen, clown. Players are leaving comments on their votes. It, the red really pops on those Dodger jerseys. Okay. It says it says the red numbers that pop as if dropped straight from the heart to the left upper abdomen. <laughs> hey, I didn't write this. Mitch did. The interlocking LA on the sleeve matching the simple but distinctive blue caps. All these elements combined to make the Dodgers' home white somehow shine a little brighter. It's a timeless, trimless look. Baseball's accoutrement answer to the American flag. All right, fine. Uh, so anyway, uh, Braves finish in third with nine votes. And Braves, I don't know. I mean, it's I. I can uh, see that, though. Mariners finish fourth. The Mariners, for me, it's just Ken Griffey Jr., I think you know, that like Ken Griffey baseball. Yep. Is, I played that video game back in the day. I, I, I've always loved those those uniforms. Um, it's a weird connection. Tigers pitcher Blaine Hardy says, "Quote: I've always been a huge fan of the Mariners' colors. They have that unique bluish green that I really love. Interesting. The Cardinals and Diamondbacks are tied for fifth. I think the Diamondbacks' recent transformation is one of the worst I've ever seen. Their their current road uniforms, which are like a really dark gray, they're they're kind of going for like a snakeskin look." Don't want to watch, watch a lot of Diamondbacks baseball, do you? Not really. No, yeah. I, I mean, I've seen them. Mm -hmm. I don't mind them. I don't mind the dark gray. Okay. Uh, the Giants, Rockies, Pirates, and Oakland A's are tied for seventh. I'm surprised the Giants aren't further up. Really? Yeah. The The off-white off you know, uniforms. Unique about yeah, them. I, yeah, I do like those. Um, the, I, the orange and the black. I got to say, I'm, I have no reason to be a Pirates fan other than I know a couple of people who are Pirates fans, and so I kind of root for them to root for the Pirates. Oh, you're a nice guy. Well, no, but I mean, they, they, the Pirates, they had the greatest team that you could have probably assembled, didn't do anything, and then since then, other than a 
brief blip with McCutcheon and Garrett Cole. They've been daw. It's been terrible. But I love those uniforms. If I, if I were to ever buy a hat of a team that I had no interest in, I would buy a pirate hat. I just think it's a cool hat. Just a right. cool, simple hat. All right, I can totally get down with the Yankees and Dodgers being number one and number two or tied at the top. I can totally understand that. The pinstripes are classic. The Dodgers' home uniforms, absolutely classic. Those two home unis are the best in baseball. I totally agree. Now, the Atlanta Braves, the Seattle Mariners, this is interesting. Them coming in three and four. You know what I think that is? I think that's because most of the players in baseball today grew up in the 90s. And what were two of the hottest teams of the 90s? They were the Braves and the Mariners. And let's even extend that to the 2000s as well. But when you have Ken Griffey Jr. and Randy Johnson and Alex Rodriguez, the Mariners, those uniforms get more attention because you remember it associated with those players. And the Atlanta Braves, of course, dominant for two decades wearing these uniforms. I like them both, but I don't necessarily know if I would say they're number three and number four in the entire league, but I think that's the nostalgia of these young guys that are in the league right now, ages 20 to, to 30 or early 30s. I would also say the Diamondbacks being in the top five or top ten is a disgrace. I mean, really, those things are disgusting. Absolutely gross. But we should give credit to the teams like the Pirates and the Brewers that have gone throwback to their 1970s or 1980s uniforms. I think that's absolutely sweet. That is the best in your sports talk. It's around the dial. Tomorrow we'll have game one of the books. Stick around for that, everyone. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 